0: I'm Arthur.
1: And I'm Susan. This is the Parent Talk
0: Podcast. Managing the challenges of daily parenting. Thanks to our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, the nation's most trusted source of organic and healthy sleep products for your children. You can visit them at naturepedic.com. That's naturepedic.com. Welcome back to Parent Talk. We're very pleased to continue our Parent Talk podcast series today on how to talk with your pediatrician about various issues. And the issues we're going to talk about today have to do with behavior. By behavior, we mean actions your child takes that you feel violate rules of the family that might seem inappropriate or put others or themselves in danger. Other episodes in this series about how to talk to pa- uh, your pediatrician will look at the challenges of sorting out concerns about school performance and also concerns about mental health like depression, anxiety, even suicidal thinking. But today are focused entirely on the issue of those behaviors, the ones that raise questions about appropriateness, violating rules and such.
1: You know, I love this topic because I think that parents are all over the map on this one, because I think all of us have an idealized thought of what raising children will be like, what our child will be like. And I'm going to tell you that with almost no exception, that little dream, that idealized dream is going to get shattered one way or another. Very few of us actually give birth and raise the children that we idealize in our mind. And I think that that's what causes the issues. They look at their child who is telling their parent, I hate you. You'll know, get out of here. My, this is the worst day of my life. Or having a tantrum that is going on now like 10, 15 minutes, and the parent thinks, what did I do wrong? And what's wrong with my child? So I think that this is an important topic. And I, I don't know that we're going to be able to help every single parent understand what's typical development and what needs intervention, but let's give it a start.
0: I love how you set up the thinking about this because I don't think most people realize it as a pediatrician and as a parent too myself, I found that Every parent comes to parenting with some idea of what they're sort of expecting their child will be, what sort of person they'll be. And it's not something that anyone's taught. People don't talk about it a whole lot. But it seems almost universal that when a baby's born, we come to that baby with some sense of who they're going to be. And I think you're right. In almost every instance, it turns out the person is a different person than we imagined. And so when we talk about behavior, let's talk for a moment about what we mean by that. Technically, behavior is really any action any person takes. All of us are behaving all the time. Right now, I'm exhibiting the behavior of talking to you, Susan, on this podcast. That's a behavior. No no behavior actually happens without a connection to what someone is thinking or feeling or wanting or disliking. So we talk about kids having questionable behavior. It doesn't come out of nowhere. Almost everything someone does is for a reason. And that doesn't have to be a thinking reason to be a feeling reason
1: when you're talking about a behavior, a behavior that's uh, acceptable in Cleveland may not be acceptable where I am in Texas, you know, or is certainly in another country or in a different culture that actually also applies to the age of the child. A behavior that is acceptable and even expected at 18 months or two years or three would look pretty odd and feel very unacceptable if that child were eight or nine. The reason I'm bringing that up is that is something that preschool parents would often say to me. They said, well, you know, he was doing this behavior in last year's class and nobody said anything. We were keeping an eye on that child. And what was acceptable in the toddler class, at least, you know, was in the parameters of what we considered expected or typical behavior becomes less acceptable when that child is now in a pre-K class. So those are the kinds of things I think that parents need to keep in mind, too. When other people are talking about their child's behavior, how old is your child? What preceded the behavior? Have there been a lot of issues going on in that child's life, even in the moment because they're tired or they're hungry or they're thirsty or bigger issues like parents are separating or there's been some big financial worries or they're moving to a new house?
0: You know, a nice example, I think, that can illustrate this is a baby drinking from a bottle. I've never had a parent come to me and say, there's something wrong with my baby. They're drinking from a bottle because everyone expects a baby if they're not nursing to be drinking from a bottle. At the same time, if you had a five year old drinking from a bottle in a kindergarten class, it would make a lot of people very upset.
1: No, no. I actually had a child who was five years old in our school who would leave school every day, lay on the back seat of her mother's car, and have a baby bottle.
0: A little atypical. Yeah, when people asked me about that, and it took me a while to figure this out. I realized that I know a lot of grown ups who drink from a bottle, actually. Really? Yeah, sure. You go to any bar and you see guys drinking beer from a bottle. (laughs) No one seems to mind that. There's really, you know, when people ask me as a doctor, what age do you have to stop drinking from a bottle? I realize there is no such age. It's an aesthetic issue. Just to your point, what's not acceptable in the United States might be very routine and actually valued in some other country. There may be places where drinking from a bottle with a nipple on it is encouraged later into life. I don't know. But the point is that we have an aversion to it. We don't like it. We want our kids to stop it at a certain age, whether that's 15 months, two years, three years, four years, for aesthetic reasons. And this is what we're getting at when we talk about behaviors.
1: No one else is getting hurt. What I think you're getting at is when are behaviors actually a concern? When would you bring this to the attention of your pediatrician?
0: Well, actually, we like to think about three different categories of behaviors that rise to the level of concern, and those would be violating an important rule, doing something that seems very inappropriate, and, and finally putting yourself or others in danger. And when it comes to violating important rules, of course, I can't think of a family that I've known, including my own, that didn't have some rules, but not all rules are created equal. You know, certainly there's rules about, against being inappropriate or endangering others, but there's also just rules of the family values, things like getting ready in school on time, clearing the table when you're done eating, cleaning up your room. We would invite our listeners to conjure up what sort of rules are in this category that they have for their children. I'm sure everyone has some. And then the other behaviors that might rise to the level of concern are those where a child's acting inappropriately. We're not going to give a lot of examples here because it varies so widely from place to place. But I think, again, most of our listeners will have ideas of when they think, oh, no, they can't do that. But there's a whole bunch of things, depending on where you live, that people deem inappropriate that you might want to get advice from your pediatrician how to manage that if it keeps persisting. And then the one I think that's easiest to imagine uh, needing help with are things that involve hurting each other, like biting, pushing, punching, a child running into the street. Everyone would agree. A parent can do just about anything to stop the child from running into a street. I think If you try your own approaches and the behaviors your child have get you worried after you've tried to help them change course, then chances are there is something to talk about. If if your child's doing stuff that doesn't bother you or worry you, there's a pretty good chance that their behaviors aren't really worrisome. Of course, there are exceptions to that, but that's a generally good rule. So generally speaking, if a behavior is breaking important rules, very inappropriate or dangerous, you're probably going to end up being concerned.
1: You know, this gets tricky because we were just talking about the fact that different families, certainly different cultures, different countries have different expectations of behavior. But even within families living in the same suburb could have very different expectations of what they want for their children. And that's what I used to find pretty commonly when I was running the preschool. And even now when I'm doing consulting, let's take the biting as an example. I've had people have said, oh, my my in-laws are driving me crazy because I mentioned that the daycare is getting back to me saying that my child is biting. Well, my first question is, how old is this child? If the child is like 15 months or 18 months go about two, then we can work with the daycare to channel those oral needs and that frustration of lack of language that often comes out in biting with the daycare. If they say, well, he's four and a half, he's turning five and and he's still using biting, which is a very, um, like a primitive, you might say, it's a very young behavior. And a four and a half or five-year-old is using that as a way to express their frustration or their needs, then you see that that really becomes something that needs some intervention like right at that moment And, and something that does feel more urgent the gray area comes when your child is, well, the child is just turned three and he's a young three and we just had a baby, you know, then we have to sort of look at it that way. And I think that's the way parents need to look at behaviors. It's not a black and white thing. There are some behaviors that are always going to raise a red flag, but most behaviors that children have are things that at a certain age are pretty acceptable. At another age, you can say totally not acceptable. And then there's that gray area in between. So, what do you think, Arthur, as a pediatrician, do you want parents to come to you and discuss that gray area, so to speak?
0: I'm really glad you asked me that, Susan. And I'm anxious, I'm eager, I should say, for our listeners to know how much of a pediatrician's day is devoted to talking about behaviors and of mental health issues in general. I would say, over the last 40 years in practice, at least a third, maybe half of my entire time was spent helping families with behavioral, cognitive, mental health issues. So the first answer to your question is yes, all pediatricians spend a lot of time talking about behaviors. But like everything else, you know, you think about painters or plumbers, not everyone's good at it. And I think it's essential that you feel that your pediatrician knows a lot about child behavior, has good ideas, has good referrals if you are going to have a good outcome talking to her or him about these concerns. A fundamental property of a good pediatrician is someone who's eager to talk to people about their child's behavior, welcomes those conversations and has lots to offer in return.
1: So another thing that I know happens is that when parents come to a pediatrician, they really do want help for their child's issues. But it's very difficult for parents of young children. Children, Young children are still like an extension of that parent. And it's almost like denigrating themselves if they say, my child has an issue. And they've admitted to me that they weren't exactly truthful with their pediatrician. Let me give you one example. When the pediatrician would say, how is their language? And they said, oh, talks up a blue streak, speaks in you know sentences of four and five words. They're just not speaking now in the your office because they're really afraid of doctors and they're quite shy. Well, a pediatrician who's, well, I don't know, how long is your typical visit for, let's say, a
0: two-year-old or two or three-year-old? Like 15, 20 minutes.
1: Right. So in 15 or 20 minutes, how much can a pediatrician? pediatrician? Pediatrician is going to take the parent's word that this child is just shy, just a bit withdrawn, you know, in the doctor's office and checks off on their checklist or whatever they have that this child is now speaking four and five word sentences. When in fact, the child is barely using one word like telegraphic speech and one word sentences, so to speak. So how can we tell parents or how can we help parents to know that their pediatrician isn't there as a judge, but is there just to support them?
0: Well, I think one thing that could be very reassuring to families, the pediatricians not judging, they're really not, they want to help. So just like, you know, if your child has an ear infection, we don't tend to think, well, who caused the ear infection? We're more focused on, you know, how do we get rid of the ear infection? It's been my experience and everyone I know who's been a pediatrician has followed this approach. When someone asks me, you know, I'm concerned about my child's biting. I'm not thinking, you know, who got him to bite? I'm thinking, how do we help this child find another path? So my, my energies are consumed with coming up with ideas for the parents to help the child find a different path forward. I don't really have any interest or time in trying to see who we blame for that. It reminds me of, of something I experienced as a patient growing up. I would be in dread of showing up the doctor's office with the hole in my sock. Lo and behold, now that I'm a doctor, I realize I don't care if someone has a hole in their sock. I don't even notice someone has a hole in their sock. I'm busy thinking about other things. So I think it's a p- very parallel observation. You may be very frightened about being judged as a bad parent or somehow responsible for the behaviors that you're going to ask your pediatrician about. But be assured that you can ask with no fear that your pediatrician's thinking really much about you at all. they just thinking about the behavior and how it help you help your child find a different path forward. Another thing I think we could do to help families feel more comfortable about talking to their pediatrician about behavioral concerns is just to give them an idea of the range of responses they can expect. So the first sort of response you can anticipate is listening. I think that's the mark of an excellent pediatrician, someone who starts off listening and knows that just in the process of giving a parent the opportunity outside the home, away from you know inappropriate behaviors, just in a calm, grown-up to grown-up conversation, sometimes parents, when they describe the situation, find their own solution. And so a really good pediatrician will give the parent the opportunity to find their own solution just by sharing the story and in the process of sharing the story, coming up with their own ideas. The other thing that can happen at the pediatrician's office is that the pediatrician may offer good advice your child's story may inspire some ideas informed by the pediatrician knowing who your child is and who you are and what's helped other people in similar situations. You may get some direct advice from the pediatrician. I think that's what a lot of people are sort of expecting when they do ask for uh, information, ask questions. And then I do want to say that a huge value from a good pediatrician is good referrals. And when it comes to behavioral challenges, I think you'd agree with me, Susan, the number of people who are effective, you know, as, as professionals in helping people resolve behavioral concerns, and we'll talk about mental health concerns another time, but the same point applies to mental health. It's not everybody, not all counselors turn out to be really good at this. So boy, what a treasure it is to have a pediatrician who knows who's actually made a difference out there, because that just clears out a lot of hassle from the family's life going through... Uh, weeks months maybe years of ineffective guidance absolutely but but if if your pediatrician knows you know people who really make a difference reliably and you need that outside help boy what a treasure it is to have a pediatrician to connect you with someone who's going to reliably transform the situation with you
1: You know, I I just wanted to make one point about when you talk to your pediatrician, something I probably should have said right at the beginning of the podcast. And that is, you really should be making an adult to adult conversation and not be talking about the child in front of the child, like saying, you know, Johnny is really giving me a a run for my money. He's biting this and he's doing this. Unless, of course, the child is old enough to include them in the conversation. Like Dr. Lavin, Johnny and I have something, you know, we know that sometimes he struggles with biting and. You know, and you can bring the child in the conversation. But so many parents, I think, talk like they think that because their child is shorter and they're speaking above them, that the child isn't hearing that. And it actually is called referential listening. It has a name and it really impacts ch- a child. If you tell the doctor that the child misbehaves and is really a tyrant at home and, you know, rages around, well, I'm going to tell you that child is going to actually fulfill that requirement because that's what they're hearing. Oh, that's what I am. So unless the child is old enough for you to include them in the conversation. So you're having a three-way conversation. Just a hint to just say, please make that conversation alone with the doctor. That might mean having to do it through an email or a Zoom or something. But I think it's possible, right, Arthur, for parents to just have a private conversation with you?
0: Yes. In fact, according to the plain language of insurance company protocols, I'll say, without going into a lot of weeds on this, it looked as though insurance companies would not pay a parent's bill for care of a child unless the child was present. Oh. And it is a standard in pediatrics to meet with families without the children on sensitive issues. And so we did a lot of research. We found, oh, well, it turns out in pediatrics for issues where it's to the benefit of the child to give parents the opportunity to talk to the pediatrician without the child present. That is a covered code. Great. And so parents should know not only is it something that people do, it's something pediatricians are very comfortable doing and insurance companies pay for the visit. They pay for any visit, for a sick visit or a checkup, they'll pay for that visit as well.
1: I am delighted to hear that. I understand why people might think that it wouldn't be covered and it's good to know that it is. You know, we have really, I think, just sort of scratched the surface of this topic and we'll be getting into topics about children's behavior, both like in the toddler age, all the way up through adolescence. I just want to say as an ending note for myself, this is the hardest thing that parents have to do is to go and ask a principal or a pediatrician, anybody who is in the authority or has some contact with their child to say that they have a concern. Nobody wants to say there's something wrong with my child. And we're here to say there's nothing wrong with your child, even if your child needs support, even if your child needs intervention, even if they really need some real special guidance. There's nothing wrong with the child. There's nothing wrong with you as parents, but everybody here is on the same side. We just want to make sure that that child grows up as healthy and as happy as they
0: can. Yeah, I've heard some very wise people say people split into two camps on this. Those who know they need help and those who don't yet know they need help let's face it, I think most families could benefit from some outside help along the way. You know, it used to be grandparents or the village. It wasn't always your mom and dad. It was, you know, someone in the hut next door. We're built to require support from others. Since every child, almost every child in America has seen a doctor after birth at some point, there's a ready-made support system. So I'm glad we had a chance to talk about how to access that system, how to think about approaching it. And I'm totally with you 100% Susan that we encourage people to feel good about doing that it's not really a critique of your child to ask questions it's a way to broaden your strengths your ability to help your child so I'm I'm really glad we got a chance to talk about it we'll be talking a lot about behaviors mental health and other podcasts so we wish everyone in our parent talk uh, listening audience a good day and look forward to speaking with you again soon Susan. Bye-bye Arthur. Thanks again for listening to the Parent Talk Podcast. You can find back episodes and send us your parenting questions at parenttalkpodcast.com. And don't forget to visit our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, at naturepedic.com.